Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Wednesday's Late Lunch. Welcome to the show. A big thank you before we begin today to everybody who made us so welcome in Clotterhead yesterday afternoon. We had a wonderful day down there, I have to say. And we're looking forward to Tuesday next because, yes, we're coasting along each Tuesday on Late Lunch for the month of August. We're in Black Rock Village and it's the 15th of August. It's the big, big day in Black Rock. And we are there with Late Lunch next Tuesday. Looking forward to it. If you want to get in touch with us on the show this afternoon... 086-1800-658 by WhatsApp or text. That's the number you need. Now, let's begin today uh, by going back to the weekend and that torrential rain Friday, Saturday. Uh, thank God it dried up a little bit on Sunday. But the rain was unprecedented, as it has been for weeks and weeks. And Bettystown, in a certain part of the village there, bore the brunt of the heavy rain. And I'm joined by somebody now whose house was flooded. Elaine Robinson is on the line. Afternoon, Elaine. Hello there, Jerry. Thank you very much for giving us this opportunity. Not at all, because we want to hear what it is actually like for somebody who cannot stop water pouring into their home. Let me go back a little bit with you first, Elaine. How long are you living? Are you on the village estate or on the East Ham Road? But actually, it's a small estate. It's called Village. Um, it used to be a holiday homes originally. Yes. And it's beside the Village Hotel, and it's on the East Ham Road. Yes, that's correct. Okay, so that's the area, so as we pinpoint it. H- right. How long are you living there? I'm there about seven, eight years. I think it's seven years. And in the locality, since maybe 26 years. Wow, so you're a long, you're a long time living in the area. You know it well. You're familiar with it. But the house, I do absolutely. Yes, uh, the house about seven, eight years. And I love your accent, by the way. In case oh. I forget to say it, you're obviously. <laughs> where are you from in Scotland originally? Well, I'm from the very posh part of Glasgow, of course. Very good, very good. Anyway, it's a beautiful accent. Anyway, you're there seven, eight years in this house. Did you know when you bought the house that there was the possibility of flooding? When I bought the house, what I did because I knew there were water, um, we kind of burns, as we call them in Scotland. Although my, also, my mum and dad were from the north of Ireland, so we call them in burns up there too. Yeah. And we, I knew there was water sources close by, and I checked with everybody around, had there been any problems, and there hadn't. However, you know, I did, over the past number of years, notice the water rising and rising and rising. Mm. So when I bought it, no, there hadn't been a problem in the area. 
Okay, and when you describe a barn, we would call it a small stream or whatever. And of a course, wee stream. yeah, we stream. But when the rain falls as it did and the tide pushes in uh, to the shore, it's a different matter altogether. And that's what happened the weekend. Uh, how much, what happened in your house? Tell us, just describe what happened. Well, well, first of all, really what happened at the jetty at the weekend was, as you know, everybody knows about the cats and dogs that were coming down and, you know, an umbrella, forget it, it was raining very hard. It was also an extremely high tide, one of the highest tides of the year, in fact, mm. and there was also a full moon. And that combined with, unfortunately, the, the process the council choose, chose to um, work on was an estate half half a mile or so up the road, who had, um, of course, a history of floods in the area. Mm. So that's where they chose to place all their resources, unfortunately. Okay, so the council were the council were doing a bit of work nearby to try to, what, clear drains, open up gullies, stuff like that, is it? The, the, the gullies were all overflowing. Yep. The only work that they could do was along the stream area from uh, Northlands up to Mornington, that's where they concentrated their efforts. Um, in Northlands, they were pumping the water, unfortunately, from the the roadway in Northlands into a holding pond. Mm. And uh, they, they are now, the council are trying to say now that actually that wouldn't have affected us. But of course, after talking to the head engineer, that pond does duly, but slow, more slowly, it does duly um, flow into the stream. So everything was towards us. So unfortunately, that process continued while our houses were just about to be flooded. Okay. And myself, I went down four times to ask the blood, the pump to be stopped, and several other people did also. Um, just to say, the boss there, he did come down when he realised he, he saw the problem. He, he came down the road. He realised the problem. Was right, you need sandbags straight away. Because mm. it was literally one centimetre from going inside my house where he saw, and actually two houses were already flooded at that point. Okay, so, so you're you're saying a combination of factors came together, and that's the other one about the combination the, of the, factors, and absolutely. it all combined to uh, bring a rush of water and rising water to your home. What happened? Did water enter your home? Did it get in? Oh, absolutely, it did, and I think that was probably the most traumatic time. Um, Obviously, we saw it rising and rising, and I thought, oh, it'll be okay. So I put the towels down, the sandbags, the bags mm. were there. But I have to say, as you actually saw it gradually creeping into the room, it was quite traumatic and yeah. quite soul-destroying. Oh, I'm and sure. And, and uh, you know, we know the power of water is unbelievable. And as you're saying there... nothing you can do. Yes, you, you, you can't believe it until you're actually in the middle of this and you see it Absolutely. rising and getting in. You and as you say... You like, Jerry. Yeah. Do you remember the film Titanic? Yes. You see the water. That yes. exactly what it was like. Wow. And obviously, it wasn't very deep. But as it started to creep in... So as, it, as that happened, I said, it's not going to do me any good looking at this. So I had to try and get my little dog into a bag and a rucksack on top of me at the front and back and climb out the window. Now, that was probably, it was nearly my, uh, just way, up, way above up my up my knee is how deep it was. And uh, I just try and wade through. And mm. then I had to go back for, the, for my other wee dog. But the fireman helped me then. So you had to bail out the window from your home. 
with your dog and then go back and retrieve another one as well. What 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 what, what, what damage has been done? What have you had to take up the floor coverings? Is there other absolutely, absolutely. everything? Um, so everything what happened is there's about twenty six houses in this day and twenty were actually flooded. Okay. And when I say flooded, it came into the because of we bungalows, it came into the entirety of the homes up to about five, six inches. Mm. And what that meant was that um really the flooring the floor's gone. A lot of people have tiles, so that's better. The the skirting boards, but every single piece of furniture it wasn't just water, Jerry. It was also sewage. Mm. So that saturated in to the um, into all the wood, into all the furniture. I, I shouldn't have done, but I actually was sleeping in my bed. I, it would have huge damage at the bottom. A lot, of, a lot of people were. I did it last night. I shouldn't have done that, but I was just exhausted, and mm. I won't do it again. It's not good. And then everything has to go. Every single thing has to go. So I could uh, being Scottish, I thought I could do a spray of the bleach. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. But he, but he, I don't mean to laugh. I, I just mean I. No, I, I you're you're like, see, I know that you're, Jerry, you're trying to. Tell you yeah, yeah, you're can the, I tell you something. I'm not kidding, Jerry. Yeah. I was in Aldi the day before. I was going to buy a two-man canoe. I am not kidding. Mm. A two-man canoe. Well, you know, there, there's humour amidst this disaster for you, and, and I I really do admire you for that. But the serious note is, floors, you're throwing out most of your furniture, nearly all of it, to go. All the furniture. You have to, you have to there's no choice, because it's all contaminated. Yeah. And what's happened, you know, at the minute, some houses are clear. They still all need to be cleared completely. The council have decided skips. Um, they all have also provided wheelbarrows. There's no monetary thing that they can do. They could help with housing, but some people were very unsure about that. And they, they weren't aware, but of course they want to be in their homes if it's handy. And um, they also, after pushing a lot, they, they did, and this was excellent, and I've got to thank Elaine Daly, who's exceptional there. They managed to... Uh, because it was the easiest thing to do. They actually purchased as all a dehumidifier to help. So that was amazing. And we need more of them, actually. But fantastic. Mm. So but the trauma for people has been unbelievable. Yeah. Unbelievable. And, and, and that that is great to hear. Here's the thing. They're all uh, single-storey dwellings, so you can't go upstairs. Yeah. You, you know, yeah. it's uh, you live downstairs, you sleep downstairs, you do everything downstairs. H- had you, h- What did you do after the floods, the, day, the days following? Could, were you in your home? Did you go somewhere well, else? Well, I have two little dogs. One is now, thankfully, minded. Thank you, Huey. Somebody's minding that wee dog. And, uh, but I just wanted... Because it was very traumatic for them too, so I actually stayed in my vehicle that night, um, and obviously I'd, I'd, I'd helped with friends. I was offered bed, but I, I just wanted to be with my wee dogs then. And people are in their state. Some families from Ukraine who came from a horrendous um, situation to another crisis, and they got had to. They just had to go with who came to collect them. Volunteers who said they put them up for the night. Yeah. And families came, friends came, and um, apart from the time when the boss down the road from the council came down, saw the flood, he then got his staff to leave sandbags and left to go back to another place. So no council person was present the whole day. Uh, a gentleman, an engineer, 
popped in at six o'clock just for a wee chat to be because we've been talking. There was uh, no representatives. Nobody knew what yes. to do, where to go, and what how to go about things. Okay, so let's let's come back to that point. Just remind me again, because I just didn't catch it there. Were you able to? You couldn't stay in your house the night it was flooded. No, no, you couldn't. And no, how many nights? How many nights were you, out, Elaine? How many nights were you out of your home? Well, actually, I sneakily stayed in my home last night. And okay, I shouldn't have because I know. Okay, so last night was the first night. Yes, but yes, last night I was the to. first night you managed to go back to your home. Uh, is it is it dried out or is there a stench? Oh, it is absolutely stinking. Mm. One floor, um, volunteers that came from the area helped pull up the floors. And one floor was still there. It just smells completely of sewage. And so nobody should be staying there apart from those that have sanitised the tiles mm. and have a bed. Um, but people, most people have moved back in again. Yeah. And, uh, so people, people, are the people there still out of their homes today? There is. There is yeah. a few people out there. Okay, home. so there's some uh, haven't been able to go back, but you're back in now and you're going to stay there. You have someone to rest your head, no, have you? No, sorry, no. Jerry. I won't be staying there. I'm going to clear it out now, the rest right. of it, and I will, I'm going to sleep in my e vehicle for a few days just while it's sanitised. So you're going, to sleep in your, you're going to sleep in your car? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I've got a van, a wee van, so that's perfect because... I've offered, I can go and stay in my friends, that's no problem, but that's what I choose to do. A lot of people have moved back in, and some people, I need to tell you this, Jerry. the Red Cross were the first on the Sunday evening, they were amazing. Paddy Mead, I have to say, amazing counsellor. Every other counsellor turned up as well, Sean Children and Sean Tolan, they've all came along, I've now given them a job each. Mm. Don't, I don't hope they've read the wrapped up because I've given them a job each and hope we can um, complete those tasks. But uh, the, the local people have been amazing. Becky's Town, Tidy Town, they've been wheelbarrowing all day, selling about seven skips so far, more skips to come. And presently in McDonough's coffee shop, we offered every single person coffee and a bit of lunch just to... Yes, to, to, to help out. So here's the question. You you are going to sleep, this is shocking, you're going to sleep in your vehicle. Uh, wh- wh- when do you hope to go back into the house? Wh- when do you see yourself getting back in? Because you're going to have to re-kit it out with furniture. You're going to have somewhere to sleep. Yes. How long is gonna, do you yes, think that's yes. going to take you? Well, some people are ahead of me because I was trying to help other people that needed more help than I did. Mm. For instance, a weak old baby and dementia and people with cancer and not well. Yes. So, but me getting back into my house, well, if I get the furniture out by and everything cleared by tonight, then what I need to do is sanitise. If yeah. any companies out there can help us with sanitisation or um, the Red Cross give us some products, um, if we can just get it sanitised and then dehumidified with the machines that Thankfully, we got from the council. We probably will need more short term. Um, then after that, it'll be safer to go in. Because to be honest, a lot of people have been staying there. Yes, we know the beds were wet, but the mattress was okay. Mm. And, but you're going to have to get a whole new suite of furniture. Are you covered by? Ins- are you, are you, have you been in touch with the insurance company? Are you covered by insurance? Oh, it's, it's a very difficult situation because a lot of people haven't got insurance, and those with insurance. Nobody found out. Those that have insurance 
probably will not be covered. Some people might, but there was a clause if you were within a certain, uh, so many metres away from a water source, you wouldn't um, you wouldn't actually get a claim. But uh, a lot of people have not been insured. Most people won't be covered. Um, however, on Saturday or Sunday, I can't remember the date, not just a council representative, social welfare were there helping out people that, um, with their needs of what they needed to meet immediately. And also, what they didn't realise was there was humanitarian aid there. A lot of people didn't realise that. So people can apply for humanitarian aid. I don't yes. know how, when these things will come. So far, it's just a few beds from the Red Cross. Um, right now, we're asking companies and handymen, please, when we're, we're dried out, could you please volunteer to put floors down? Give us discounts. Mm. You know, please. But yes, we will need furniture. We will need furniture. Yeah. So, look, it is a desperate situation and people still out of their homes. Uh, Elaine, who we're talking to, is going to go and stay in her car for the next few nights. That humanitarian aid, yes, Mead County Council, I see the uh, press release from the council uh, there about the Community Welfare Service and Humanitarian Assistance Scheme. There was a meeting on Tuesday night in the village inn in Bettystown there to disseminate information. I presume people went, no? No, wasn't. No. No, No, didn't. Plan, but it, no, that didn't happen. Okay. Um, Is there a new date for that meeting? No, do you know? Not as yet. I wish I could. I wish I could announce. Yes. This year, but okay. Well, not. we'll go back to Mead County Council and see what's happening there. If that meeting didn't happen, uh, but they've been advertising that welfare service and the humanitarian assistance. And by yes, God, however, the, well, the nobody or very few people seen that advertisement. What I I'm suggesting what they should have done is stick it on everybody's door. We have elderly people here. I'm not good on social media. I don't Mm. know where they put that sign out to, but it wasn't directly to people here. Yeah, I have it. I have it here in a press release that came out to us. But I, I take you at your word that uh, people uh, weren't that aware of it. Look, it's a ferocious situation. It really is. It's desperate. And I'm listening to your appeal. If anyone can help the Bettystown residents, as uh, Elaine has been saying, they're looking for furniture. If anyone can give an assistance with floors, have to go back in when the place is dry out and Absolutely. are cleaned up Thank as well. Elaine, yeah. mm. Can I ask one favour, Jerry? I know I'm taking up a lot of your time. If everybody listening to this now, because this could be anybody, this could be anybody, please, please, Picket the OPW, please write to OPW and simply say, please build the flood wall that we were promised three years ago. Please build it. The council can't tell the OPW what to do. They did hold an emergency meeting. I'm sure impressing our needs, but it has to happen. We need that flood wall and we need it now. Okay, Elaine, let's leave it on that appeal today. The flood barrier is needed in this particular area, Bettystown, and Elaine appealing on behalf of everybody there to the OPW to make that happen sooner rather than later. Uh, I hope uh, that your homes dry out, that you get the assistance you need and you're back in sooner rather than later and the barrier happens. Elaine, thank you for joining me today to tell the story. Thank you, Jerry. Thank Take you care of yourself. Much. Not at thank all. You. You're very welcome. Elaine Robinson there in Bettystown. That situation in Bettystown, when you hear Elaine Robinson... It's shocking, isn't it? It's absolutely horrific. Really? You know, really especially is. if they knew it was coming mm. down the line. Mm.
It's, I, I know the rain was unprecedented, that's for sure, you have to say that, but my mm. God almighty, when you hear there are people, very vulnerable people, young children in those homes there as well, she's going to sleep in her car for the next few nights, it's... It's just not on. It really isn't. And something has to be done urgently. It really has. Um, well, I suppose with the impending rain, I mean, if this is going to get a regular occurrence, all mm, this heavy rain because, they say, of mm, climate change, mm, well, any vulnerable estate or, or area like that has to be looked at now. Ahead of the... Uh, ahead of anything. What's going to happen, yeah. for sure. And, you know, <laughs> the weather's lovely today and be lovely tomorrow. But it's changeable again beyond that. And God knows what happens. But it's shocking. It must be horrendous for your home to be flooded. Mm-hmm. It really, everything has to, as you heard of there, you just get so everything out of everything the place. Out. Yeah. It's shocking. It really, really is. And especially is. she hasn't even got an upstairs that might be. No, bungalow. Bungalow's gone. Every room. Yeah, everything. And nowhere actually to go. If anyone can help out, it's easy to contact, I'm sure, the people out there. They'd really appreciate any assistance. And they're getting great assistance. You heard uh, Elaine say there, the community have rallied, mm-hmm. offered help, you know, all around. A lot round of Red well. Cross, a lot of yes, organisations yes, come on yes. board. I'm delighted to welcome my next guest back to the show. And in the circumstances, as you'll understand when we speak. He's been with us on a number of occasions on Late Lunch. He represented Ireland at the Olympics in 1996. He smashed countless Irish and World Masters records and he lives in Ravensdale in North Loud. Shane Healy, it's really good to see you again. Thank you so much for having me back on your show, Jared. Not at all. You're very, very welcome. Just remind our listeners, take us back, 1973, you were a young lad living at home in Dublin and your mum left the house. Yeah, it happened in August of 1973. Um, I was asleep in bed and my mum and dad were having an argument and Lorraine woke up and came down the stairs. And That's I, your sister? My, my older sister, Lorraine, yeah. correct. And as mother was opening the front door to leave, she grabbed Lorraine. And from that night onwards of 1973, I've never seen or heard from them since. And my search has been for the last 50 years to find mum and Lorraine. Really? And that 50 years, there'd be nothing during that 50 years? Nothing, not a a birthday card, not a postcard, nothing, not an iota. Didn't you know, like, over the 50 years, I beat myself up looking for them and wondering what happened to them. yeah, it was very stressful on my behalf and it was like a part of my life that was missing and I never gave up hope and any time when I was running or running fast records or in the media, I've always mentioned them in all the articles for Mum and Lorraine to come forward. And you've been here a number of occasions with us and you've made the appeal and you've been on national radio, television, in the newspapers, everything and nothing, Shane, really nothing at all. Nothing, absolutely. It's just amazing how somebody could just fall off the face of the earth. Unbelievable. And you, your, your dad, you remained with your dad. Were there other siblings as well? Yeah, it was my older brother and sister. Mm. Yeah. But your dad had to go to the UK, I know, to find work. He did, yeah, in, 19, in 70, late 73, 74, correct. And your aunt, uh, you, you went into care then? I went into gold. I went, I went to the nuns first in Donnybrook. And then from the nuns, I was transferred to Golden Bridge in Inchicore, Golden Bridge Orphanage. And daddy went to work in England with my older brother. 
Because he, he was old enough to look after himself. Yeah, to, to go with him. And your aunt came from time to time and picked you up from there and took you out. You loved yeah. those days. Oh, look, my auntie, knowing she was a sweetheart, she was my dad's youngest sister, the youngest sister, our 12 apostles, I called them. And my aunt, she was a beautician at Switzer's in Grafton Street, which is now Brown Thomas. And she used to come and take me out every second weekend along with her husband to be Stan I always remember they used to always Stan loved golf courses so he'd always be going to golf courses I remember golf courses where there's golf courses there's beaches and then one weekend she, she never came to pick me up and uh, she was getting married a few months later and unfortunately when she was taking a shower in Baggage Street at her apartment she had a massive brain hemorrhage at 37 and passed away and that's when daddy came over from England with his new partner for the funeral, for knowing you know, and didn't his new partner say, "Look, you have a son here. Let's take him out of the orphanage and bring him back to England with us." So th- that's what I did. That's what mm. happened. How, how much time did you spend then in England before spent you came back a, to a Ireland? A year, a year or so mm. in England, and then the two families, because my daddy's partner, she, she had children as well, and so we moved to Rathmines, Rathgar, and we lived there. Yeah. So everybody moved back here, and Correct. you you grew up there. Mm. But the desire to find your mother and and understand what happened never left you. No, absolutely not. No, never gave up hope. And what about your dad? Did he ever talk uh, about her? Or? That, no, no, dad. Look, with uh, daddy always said to me, he said, look. If I knew that when your mother left the house that night and I was never going to see her again, I would have really tried hard to mm. reconcile. But no, they never, no. And then daddy was a devil for the drink and stuff and he kind of drowned his sorrows in that. Like, and mm. uh, yeah, it was, it, was, it, was, it was tough. Like, yeah, absolutely. I said at the beginning, I never thought I'd see you back in this studio with a conclusion to this story that eventually you would find out yeah, isn't that just great? Like it's uh, fantastic. It <laughs> it's really great. Is. Like it's um, it happened. Like I won't forget the date. It was July fifteenth this, this year, year. at twelve oh nine p.m. I came back from a hard track session at the Bush in, in County Louder, and the weather was appalling that morning. And remember, I did a really hard session, but I felt good. And when I was warming up, I felt a bounce in my legs, and I said, "I feel something good about today." I just—I didn't know what was coming, didn't have a clue, but I had a really, really good workout considering the conditions, the weather conditions. And I came home, and I was tired because I did a real hard effort. And um, I laid down in the bed, and then a text came in from nowhere, and I said in the text, "It said, hi there, I'm Jonathan. You came up as my uncle on a DNA." test that I took with myheritage.com and I googled you and I seen by the newspaper articles that you were looking for your sister Lorraine I'm glad to say that Lorraine is my mother (laughs) I couldn't believe it Uh, like the whole just um, 50 years of soul searching Mm. in that moment it was like it was like getting hit by a truck. All the emotions. Mm. And then, in the text, it said uh, that, um, sorry to say that, but your mum had passed on 12 years ago. So, but, um, yeah, it was uh, it was heartbreaking. Yeah. You know, the desire for all those years, and then when this, as you say, hits you like a train, it's a totally different scenario, isn't it, Shane? It, it was, yeah. But you know what, Jay? For beating myself up for so many decades of looking for mom, 
it was closure. Mm. And I don't know what went through the woman's mind when she left the home that morning, that day, that night in, in August of, nine, of 1973. And just to lose contact and to go on with your life and leave three other siblings behind is mind-blowing and I know she had one she had Lorraine to comfort because she had one child but then mum remarried and she had another son called Garrett that I didn't even know that's a half-brother I only found that out a couple of weeks ago and of course you know now I have a nephew that was my sister's son Johnson he was born in, in 89 and Garrett was born in 77 yeah just yeah, so when they contacted me three weeks ago, it was yeah, and my and my two old my older brother and sister Liona, they they were shocked as well. Like as to all my relatives or stuff, because they've always asked where they. Anytime we've seen, have you heard from them? Have you heard from them? Because I was the one that was always branching out through the media to find them. Mm. Mm. Where did she go? Where did she when she left Dublin? Do you know what happened? Yeah, I do. Yeah, I, I found out the whole story. Of course. Um, Mum le- left Ireland in 75. She actually stayed for a year and a bit in Dublin, didn't even, unannounced to us up in Mount Marion. And then she relocated to Cheshire in England. And that's when she met up with her husband-to-be and they had a child together, Garrett, in 77. And then um, they divorced then a few years later and then she met another man, that they got remarried and um, he spent the next 25 years with her up to her death in 2010 and they had they were in the pub business they are in Cheadle Hume in England in I don't know the place and from what I gathered from what Lorraine told me and and Garrett and John that she was a well liked woman of the local community and there was a huge funeral mass for her and everybody paid their respects. They lined the, the roads of the village and the church was packed. So she was, a, yeah, she was an interesting woman, yeah. And it was a woman that I would love to have had a part in my life. Mm. Like, you know, like, like a relationship, like hug your mum, you could kiss her, hug her, go on those special outings, do those special things together as a mother and son would do, but I'd never ever know. And that's just unfortunate. It's just the way that life has planned out for me. That annoys you. It, it upsets you, does it? Ah, it does, of course, because, like, when Mum got married to Daddy in 1958 in Tulsk and Roscommon, I had, like, 12 uncles and aunts, mine plus 12, because they were all married, so it was 24, and she could easily pick up the phone. I just don't know, maybe... I, I, like, she told Lorraine, like, because Lorraine have always asked about us, because she was old enough to remember us. And Mother said, like, look, it's... That, that life is gone now. This is your life now in England. And maybe Lorraine was a bit brainwashed through the whole situation. I don't know. And uh, But look, when the first thing Lorraine said to me when she was texting me and then we had the phone call, oh, you loved your jam sandwiches. Do you still love them, you know? Because she remembered, like, you know, I said, I would have no recollection. Yes. I, I was too young, Jared. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Mm. And did she ever... It's as if she cut the Irish part away completely is that yeah it, it is yeah she just looks look whatever happened to my mum and dad she didn't want to be found and okay that's fine I can live with that but don't cut your siblings out mm. like you know and keep us in the frame but look whatever whatever emotions and plans that she had and she just didn't want to be like she just wanted to get on with her own life in England which in terms of, I don't know how her mental health was at the time and look at 
look, it's just the way it panned out. Mm. Yeah. And they knew nothing of you and your athletic success and no, representing Ireland, Ireland the oh. Olympics. Your profile, Shane. Yeah, I looked and also I, I ran in England a good few times, yes. you know, like running against Cole, like not Cole, but Cram and, you know, yes. some of the great English ones. And then I was even running just up the road from a place, uh, athletics track in Manchester, uh, Shaw. Like I was thinking like as the crow flies, well, it's probably only 50 or 60 miles from a like, you know. It's nuts. And then, of all things, Jerry, you know, when I talked to Lorraine, Lorraine was a cross-country runner and a 1,500-metre runner before I even started athletics, which is just mind-blowing. And, like, and I have all the siblings. Like, I have a games room over the house, and my other two older siblings have no interest in the games room. But Lorraine did. Loves pool, loves uh, pinball machines. And so we had a lot in common there, like. Yes. But yeah, like, and it was, it was so strange because when I was going to pick them up at the airport, I said to my wife, Jennifer, I said, Jennifer, I'm related to these people blood-wise, like the closest can be, but yet they're complete strangers to me and I was so nervous, you know, like, I didn't know what to expect. Like, You, know. you went to the airport, you were telling us there with your wife and you said, they're my blood relatives, but they're absolute strangers. What did you make of them when, you know... Did you have to hold up a sign and say, I'm Shane Healy, you know, like the airport thing? No. No, 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 no absolutely no. not. Because <laughs> yeah. I, I, I seen a picture, seen I seen a picture yeah. of Lorraine on, yeah. face, on, on Facebook and then Gareth and Jonathan. So I went to pick them up at Belfast International Airport. They flew in on a Saturday morning, the week after we made first contact. Mm. And I picked them up at the airport and we were coming through arrivals and I seen them from a distance and I said, there they are. And I just went up straight up to Lorraine and we gave three of each hugs and then I gave Lorraine a really long hug and lots of tears. Hmm. Yeah. It's a long time, 50 years. It is. Yeah, a definitely. Long, long like, for like, like when you're thinking, like, I was beginning to say to myself, am I just looking for a mirage, you know, <laughs> an apparition, you know, like it's, uh, it was just unbelievable. Like, like I said to you just there in the, in the break there, like, that DNA test, the power of DNA, like it's it's just unbelievable. My heritage, like and I'm like I like to get the message to anybody out there. If you've lost a family member or like you, you, and you're in the look for one, don't be don't be afraid to do the DNA test because it can open so many doors, like it has for mm. me. When you meet and you start chatting and you hug and you embrace and off mm. you go and you you start to you know catch up on all those missing pieces of life. I take it you're going to hold these people very close forever and I'm ever going to, They're not going nowhere. <laughs> they're, uh, they're, they're just the stories. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. 
that Lorraine told me about mum driving back mm. from the airport to Ravensdale it's like oh wow like it, it, filling me in all the stop gaps you know and it was very emotional and yeah and also joyous as well and and you know and to learn more about mum that I had missed for the last 50 years mm. um, yeah and so what happened was Jay, when we got back to Ravensdale bought them for lunch in Strandfield not lunch but breakfast because it was an early morning flight and then we went up to the, the Ballymascallan Hotel and that's where they met my other siblings my older sister and brother and the four of us just gelled actually and we really did and now it was it was like we had lunch there and there was lots of hugs and and then also with, with Garrett and Jonathan yeah it was really 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 good it was like we didn't miss each other at all like it was great like so half brother you've a new half brother you have a, a nephew. nephew yeah you've reconnected with Lorraine and, and reconnected with Lorraine and of course found out what happened to mum which and, was and the thing that you were seeking all these years. Yeah, I look, dear, I, I don't have to go through the 50 years of burden on my shoulders. Mm. Like when I heard the news and that they connected, like the whole weight was taken off my shoulders. But also, there's a lot of sadness there because, like I said, never got to meet the woman. Mm. Mm. It's a tough one because that's something you dearly wanted and it ain't going to happen now but what you have I have to say to you Shane what you have now yeah. you have a family yeah you know it was weird it was crazy because I asked where mum was buried you know and they told me she's buried in a small town in England called you will grieve <laughs> I was like <laughs> I said spell it because I, I was thinking was I picking up on she said no Y-O-U-L grieve G-R-E-A-V-E it's like oh God. <laughs> how ironic like you know yes. you'll grieve what a name for a town for, for a name yeah. of a town and in the cemetery as well mm. but yeah I look like it was wonderful like and I, I learned now what John, Jonathan's doing he's a truck driver and then Garrett he's in charge of a mechanic shop like you know it's just wonderful to hear what their life stories and their both in, in healthy relationships and you know like it's and Lorraine works in multimedia um, advertising and stuff like that yes. as well and mm. yeah what about you now what about you that you've reached a conclusion to this mystery I'm at peace with myself, but there'll always be questions that I would would want it answered, but I'll never find out. Do you know? Like, but no more beating myself up, and um, and wondering why she left, and was it because of me, or did we do something wrong? Did you have that in your thoughts that you? Yeah, because you're only a little fella, a little boy. Yeah, but yeah, look, it was, it was, yeah, you know, it just like I always questioned myself. Yeah, and that was just just me, because I feel like I'm a very caring and compassionate person. Isn't that something else that that would sit in your mind and your thoughts all these years, Shane? Yeah, because like my mother had a very tough pregnancy with me. She caught TB and she was in hospital for three or four months with TB with the pregnancy. And I always felt like, well, did I like do damage to her emotionally? Isn't it strange the things that we would never... You're telling, you're telling 
so many people today something that we would never even consider, Shane. Yeah, but... And, but it's not the case. No. You know that. It's not the case. It's not the reason. Mm. Not at all. Don't beat yourself up about that. No, no. But my God almighty, it's... The mind is strange, isn't it? And and the way it thinks. It is, yeah. You know. Yeah. God almighty, Shane. None of us know, do we? No, no. no we'll, we'll never, we'll never know the the truth, mm. Jerry. Why Mum left, and like, just left unanswered questions, and mm. why she didn't keep in touch. Yeah. But um, but that's it now. It's it's in the past. Yes. And I know now where she's buried, so I'll go visit her grave, mm. and uh, and now I'll have a fruitful relationship with my new found family and yeah that's it yeah I think too like with the running has really helped me a lot because I got built up a lot of frustration and the running really helps me release that what would you call it negative energy or just you know like just like of being feel abandoned you know as a kid Mm. and thank god I have my running that outlet you got to let that go now, Shane. Yeah. You got to let that, let that fly free now. Yeah. Yeah. And the guys in the Masters better look out because Shane Healy is on his way. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Look, I'm looking. I'm looking forward to breaking many more World Masters records at over 55. Like, mm. like the race in Carlingford was really a good opener for me last Friday yes. when I ran 15-16 and I came in eighth. So that was a really good confidence booster. And so it sets me up nicely now for the over 55s when I turn 55 in October. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. The start of something exciting and special. And you know you have the legs and everything within you too. And now Lorraine is totally in in, in awe with my athletics and stuff. And so is my new found brother and um, nephew. They're like asking me, oh, when is your next race and stuff? So that's really nice, you know. And, mm. and now that they're in England, when I go to race in England, they'll come see me, watch me run. Like, so it's exciting times ahead. You better look at the budgets too. There's new presents and birthdays to be covered and Christmas times <laughs> Christmas and all that type of stuff. Isn't it great? Yeah, it is. Isn't it just great? It is. It really, yeah, yeah, really yeah. is. Yeah, look, uh, look, I, I, I'm, I'm not going to be so hard on myself no more. And it'll just take me time. To, yeah. to process it yeah, and of course it's very warm. fresh very fresh oh my god this is very fresh, fresh. I understand that That's it is it, like. shocking fresh at the moment but what a wonderful time it is for you I'm delighted for you because as I said I never thought I'd see this day there was just no leads nothing happening you know for all the years and here you are today bringing closure and conclusion to the story and with a new yeah. family and an exciting time ahead yeah yeah it's great yeah thank you you were so. one of the good guys Shane Healy you really are Thank you for dropping in today. And thank you so much for having me on the show. I'm delighted to share my story. And look, like I said, anybody that's in my situation out there, don't give up hope on finding a loved one. Believe. And it's happened to me 50 years later. It has. It has. Never give up. Shane Healy, looking forward to hearing about your master's career as it unfolds as well. Congratulations on bringing this to a conclusion. And we wish you and your new family and your whole family everybody in the family all the very best for the future Shane Healy thanks a million my my honour
Thanks. Delighted to welcome the chairman of St. Alton's Historical Society in Mead, Stephen Ball, to late lunch. Stephen, good to see you again. Good afternoon, Jerry. I'm delighted to be here today with you. Thank you for dropping into the studio to us. And you're here to talk about an exhibition that's coming up this weekend entitled 100 Years of Living Heritage Through Sport and featuring the photographs of John Lawler. You better tell us who is or who was John Lawler. Well, John Lawler was originally from Kenston in Navan and uh, he cycled the Bohemian Cycling Club in the 50s and 60s. But the huge legacy he left in a small box is a large amount of photographs he took all over Ireland with a micro camera, a small camera. And his, his sport was obviously cycling. He loved cycling. He once finished second to Gene Mangan in a big race in the Phoenix Park. He was a, he raced on the track mainly, not on the road, but he followed the Ross Talton all over Ireland. And he has photographs from all over Ireland of people like Cheryl Hannan, John and Gene Mangan. These legendary names and Ben McKenna of Mead. And, you know, it's thanks to his family we were able to bring these photographs to the surface and enlarge them and give people an idea of what it was like back in the days of when these Ross Talton men were really superstars of the era, you know. And a little camera, a little small camera, because you brought me in a sample of some yeah. of the photographs you took yeah. here. I'm looking at Park Talton. You said the, in, in Park Talton, as, as you wouldn't see it today, of course. Mm. What, what era are you talking about, Park Talton and Crow Park there? When are you well, talking about? We, what believe, we believe they're the late 50s. It's taught that in Park Talton, the largest crowd ever was about 30,000 people at a Leinster semi final between Loud and possibly Dublin in the late 50s. And the other picture is of Crow Park around a similar time. It looks different with the smaller stand, but uh, it's an idea of how many people attended these events. Yes. But, but the legacy the man left is huge. Like, you know, the photographs are amazing. Like, you know. Yeah, and these are all going to be displayed yeah. on display at this exhibition this coming Saturday and Sunday in Bohemian Community Centre. That's right. Let's talk about a few of the characters that are going to be featured. I want to ask you, one caught my eye immediately. Um, John Roberts, an international cricketer, 1850. Tell me about that man. Well, John Roberts uh, was the owner of Durham and Castle, a small castle house in Bohemian, which still exists today. And it's one of the oldest lived houses in Ireland for 600 years consecutively. People have lived in it. But John himself was uh, played cricket for Ireland in 1850, and he's in a photograph of a cricket team representing the totality of Ireland at the time. And he played international cricket for a number of years. And he was known locally as a gentleman farmer. He died about 100 years ago, and he's buried on our Bracken Graver in Bohemian. So that was John Roberts. So famous for the cricket as well. I mm. love the old cricket myself. Watching. Just when I saw his name, I said, I must ask uh, Stephen about him. Now, tell me this. 1909 to 1915, <laughs> Bohermine won six Mead senior titles in a row. Yes, it was a remarkable achievement. I believe the two of them was won in the boardroom because the opposition uh, refused to play Bohemian anywhere in the county of Mead in the finals, so they were awarded the title. But uh, this is a unique record, and there is medals locally in hands. They're probably in a bank vault uh, from this era. But um, another thing they won, they won the famous Crow Cup in 1911. The Crow Cup, when Mead uh, played as a team uh, in that period, the winning county club fielded the team, plus a few good players. And in the Leinster semi-final of 1911, either 10 or 11 Bohemian players were on the team that beat Dublin by a handsome score. But they were beaten in the, in the Leinster final by Kilkenny. So they 
the Mead team effectively the Boatman team played Waterford for the Crow Cup it was a runners up competition yes. but they won the Crow Cup and uh, the Crow Cup was a big tournament at the time only played from 1896 to 1915 and now resides in private residence in County Clare right so that was the Crow Cup God almighty that was some run of success be it boardroom or on the field these things happened around that time mm. uh, for sure moving to rugby and international rugby Jimmy Farrell a man of the 20s and 30s Jimmy Farrell was from Cork and the son of Davy Farrell. He went to Castlenock College, to a well-to-do family, but he played uh, rugby for Ern and was capped 27 times between 1927 and 1930. In 1927, he actually travelled with the Lions to Argentina to, to play rugby. And in 1930, he travelled to New Zealand to play rugby as, on part of the Lions team. But a very unique thing happened on the journey to New Zealand. On the boat... They were travelling through the Easter period and four or five people or maybe more of Catholic persuasion uh, went to one of the cabins on board the boat on Good Friday to conduct their services among themselves and say their prayers and the fellow players who wouldn't mean of the same religious persuasion didn't mock them, they admired them for doing it and mm. it was a unique thing that happened. When you think though Stephen of those journeys in those mm. years by boat to Argentina yeah. And down to then New Zealand. The, the reason they went to Argentina was that the Argentinian government or the sports authorities there, almost 100 years ago, wanted to encourage the growth and promotion of rugby and they allowed several thousand, wherever their currency was, to bring a team in from the Northern Hemisphere yes. and to encourage the growth. And as you see, the Pumas are a big team in international exactly rugby today. Are. So it, it sowed the seeds and there was a man from the Bohemian area <laughs> there, Jimmy Farrell. Uh, what a fantastic story that is. Now, on to athletics. Uh, international athlete of the 20s again, Pat Coyle. What about this man? Well, Pat Coyle was from Neilston, Bohemian, lived not far from where I live today in Neilston. And in 1927 and 1928, he won the NACA National Senior Cross Country title and, and on two occasions as le- he led the Irish team in Wales and in Scotland and they raced over 10 miles cross country that time and you know it was a, the both occasions that he won the National Senior title it was held on St Patrick's Day in the Phoenix Park against the best opposition in the country and his trainer was a local cure called Father Thomas O'Connell who had come to the parish and recognised the talent in this man. So that was Pat Coyle. You mentioned the NACA and you have a little silver medal there <laughs> sitting on the desk and I was having a look at it before we came on air there and it says NACA on the back of that medal. That's right. This medal was from the National Athletic and Cycle Association uh, medal and this was found under a rose bush in Bohemian several months ago and a lady gave it to me and it was won by a girl under 10 in 1972, possibly locally. So hopefully soon we might get to return this medal to the girl who won it and maybe lost it maybe more than 50 years ago. That's the mystery. <laughs> under a rose bush? Under a rose bush, not, not far from the centre of Bohemian. I can't say the location. But this young lady now would probably... Uh, she would be about 61 or 2, mm. you know. <laughs> so, so if you're out there and you're missing an NACA medal from 1972, under what? Under, under 10. 10. Under 10. 10. <laughs> Stephen Ball ring has me, it. Ring me. Give Stephen Ball a shout. He'll return <laughs> the medal to you. There'll be, a, there'll be a story and a half in that for sure if we find that woman. Now, when you talk about a parish like yours and you had the intervention there of the World War, say the Second World War, yeah. and the, <clears throat> the dark days of the 50s in Ireland when there was no work, that had to have an impact. 
It did, but during the 1940s and looking through the old newspapers, there was parish sports every weekend and people, a well-known cyclist of the day, Mick Anderson, he won 20 national cycling titles of Ormain Cycling Club and he used to travel with four or five children on the bicycle to sports all over the county. My late dad was told me about him. But in the 1950s, there was huge emigration and as I said, at that period, my dad was playing football at Ormain and he could tell you there could be a different team fielding every Sunday and some of the lads on the sheets of paper might not necessarily be the same people on the field. <laughs> <laughs> and that could be replicated all over the county. <laughs> no. But <laughs> when you think about it, it just you have to smile and laugh at it. But n- listen, needs be at the time with all that was going on in the country. When you look at the parish, like uh, you, you mentioned the, the, the cameraman himself, uh, who will be uh, his photographs have been displayed, John Lawler, and his love of cycling. Uh, cycling, Gaelic football, athletics, the predominant. Yes. Yes, going back as far as the 1890 to Bracken sports, those three uh, sports were being played and, you know, back then uh, Gaelic would be 17 aside and maybe more and it ended up in usually a good celebration afterwards. But, you know, those were the three prominent sports back in the day and they still exist today and other sports have come into the parish and grown and with, over the years, you know. What about uh, the clergy? You mentioned a, a clergyman there who trained the athlete, but the clergy did play a big part in sport too and we've got to mention the arrival into the parish of a father Conway in 1955 what impact did that man have? Well father Conway father John L Conway as he was known he arrived from Carnston in 1955 as PP at Bormain when father O'Keefe died and he did a major impact from uh, from talking to some of the older players now or the younger players then he got the underage people playing football down in the park at Sean Newman the park is always known and he got a couple of teams to finals on the 14 finals in the late 50s and they eventually won the final in 1960 and some of that fi- team went on to win junior football championship medals with Marty and some with both main and they emerged into the 70s where, uh, you know, Marty got to a semi-final of the Intermediate Championship, final in 1972, they were beaten by Summerhill, Bormean won the final in 70, Intermediate final in 73, and got to the senior final in 74, were beaten. A lot of those players were product of Father Conway's time in the parish. He passed away in 1965, but for a number of years, the juvenile effort he put in, Bore great seeds later on, mm. like you know, mm. he was a, he was a really pleasant person from all accounts, like you know, and great. You see, you know, you can isn't it interesting? You can trace that back to his work and what he did and how it materialised then in subsequent years. I have to ask you about Saint Ulton's Historical Society, and I'm sure you've been asked this question many times. Has it anything to do with the name of the football club? No, not really, not really. St. Dalton was a saint in our abbot in our bracken about 700 AD and he's a holy well which we're going to visit in two weeks time, Jerry, I welcome to come along on Sunday the 27th of August. No, he preceded the, the clubs by about 1300 years so it's named after kind of the holy well in our bracken so the well of knowledge and depth of history in the parish that's where we try to record it, you know, so that's where the name derived from. Isn't it amazing the way, like sport is huge, you know? and I know, I always say it in the show, there's some people just switch off when you have sport or you mention sport, but on the whole, sport plays a huge part, Stephen, in the life of any community, and this is why you're having this exhibition this weekend. Well, you know, a sport can be a very bonding fa- factor through a lot of difficult times, and a time of... Uh, families problems and you know uh, family fires and 
community bonds together and all sport. Some people say, I hate sport, but they'll find that some of the, some of the family back generation were involved in it, you know, administration or players. And so it does connect parishes and communities and gets people talking of depressive times, maybe, you know. Mm, it is. It's a huge common thread uh, for everybody. So this coming weekend, it's on Saturday and Sunday, the 12th and 13th of August. It opens at midday each day and runs to 7 o'clock in the evening. And these pictures you brought here and this man's collection and more beside will be all on display. Yeah, absolutely, Jerry. And I'd just like to put in a mention there. It's in our community centre, which is 40 years open next year, and we're hoping to re- re- put a bit of refurbishment into it, so looking for a bit of support in that. But another little addition to this uh, display is we have a huge collection of unseen photographs from the Mead teams of the 1980s in training sessions and all this, and some of the lads, Tommy Dowd and Martin O'Connell and Colin Morocco on his head, and other pe- these photographs will never have been seen before. They come out of a box in a dark closet, <laughs> so we'll have them copied and they will be on display. So there's a, there's a lot of photo things, memories for people. You know, we might have, might be able to identify every and all the pictures, but you know, it gets people out engaging. Post-COVID, I think it's a nice idea. Living Heritage is the theme of Heritage Week this year and our National Heritage Week, yes. and I think this is Living Heritage through over 100 years or more. I think it's terrific, and that's why we are featuring it on Late Lunch today. It is National Heritage Week, and this is a lovely, lovely uh, exhibition to go to on Saturday and Sunday, the 12th and 13th of August, this coming weekend, 12 to 7 in Bohermine, Community Centre. Stephen Ball, thanks for dropping in to me on the show today. I really enjoyed our chat. Thanks very much, Jerry, and looking forward to meeting you again. Thank you. Thanks a million. Stephen Ball there. Late lunch, LMFM radio coming up after three. We hear about socks, a certain type of socks, and I have my top five countdown. But up to three, it's Ella Henderson and React. News, weather and sport on the way. 24-7 on my mind, we spoke to uh, Elaine Robinson, top of the show, about the situation in Betty's town following the terrible flooding out there. She had an awful story to tell us. She's sleeping in her car for the next few nights until she tries to get the house right. Well, we've got the latest statement from Mead County Council. Uh, she mentioned there was uh, to be a liaison officer and help in the village hotel yesterday. She maintained uh, they didn't know about it. Um, the council have said that a council liaison officer attended the village in hotel in Bettystown yesterday. Members of staff from the Community Welfare Service were also on site to offer support as part of the humanitarian assistance scheme. The council is continuing to provide support to the residents with the clean-up operation and a meeting is due to take place today between the OPW and the executive of Mead County Council. We take it that's in relation to the flood barrier there. But we thank them for that latest statement from Mead County Council. Now, I've been telling you, I, we've teamed up with Falch Ireland to help you experience the best vacation ever. I've been to Monaghan, to AWOL Outdoor Adventure and Rally School Ireland in Scotstown. Oh my God, what an experience I had there. It was unbelievable. And they're right on our doorsteps here from the northeast to go to either AWOL or the Rally School in uh, in Scotstown. Fantastic. I highly recommend them. And check out the daycations available on discoverireland.ie and look for the hashtag, hashtag best daycation ever. I have a 151 for all voucher to give away to one of you. Tell me about a daycation you've had, an experience you've had in Lothermead or beyond that you'd recommend to people. And thanks to Falch Ireland, I want to give one of you that €150 one-for-all voucher. Louise, if I said to you, was there a place you went for a day that you absolutely loved? Can you can you tell me about one even one? Castlewell and Forest Park in County Down. Is it fantastic? Oh, it's amazing. It's, it's lovely and it's something for everything. You can go walking around the 
around the lake. You can actually go on a boat if you wanted around the lake. You can go cycling. You can go walking up a hill. There's a castle. There's a massive big peace maze. Mm. There's coffee shop. There's everything. It's just it's just lovely. There you are. Beautiful that's, scenery that's as well. That's Louise's chosen vacation. Have you one where you've been that you'd recommend? 150 euro one for all voucher up for grabs. Put your name in the hat. 086-1800-658. WhatsApp or text me now. That's all you have to do with your name and details. And you could be winning that voucher on late lunch this Friday afternoon. What about the person, Louise, won the jackpot in America? Did you see that? How much? I was thinking of doing the lot tonight. Mm. What, how much is it in America? Okay, okay, I'll tell you. The numbers were... 13, mm. 19, mm. 20, 32, 33 and 14 was the other number you needed. They only went and won $1.58 billion. Oh, Billion. Oh. Billion, Louise. That's too much for anybody. Imagine winning that amount of money. It's not the largest. Well, and was it just like, was that a rollover? Yes. For it's loads been, of months and it's years. It's been rolling over. It has. It's been rolling over and rolling over. Should we be giving out yards here in Ireland saying oh. it was fixed or whatever? It has been rolling over for a long time. It oh went to that number. But anyway, the biggest ever was $2.04 billion. One last year in California, but there you are. Florida. You wouldn't even finish your sentence, would you? Be gone out here. <laughs> oh, no, I'd finish the show. Not at all. Um, <laughs> finish the week. <laughs> yeah, you wouldn't. <laughs> I would. 1.58 billion mega millions won in Florida. Whoever won it, God help them. I hope they're healthy and have their health mm. to wear as well and that they live well with it. But good luck to them anyway with good fortune. Anyway, Louise, will you roll it there, please? Five, four, three, two, one. Counting down the top five songs from this week of yesteryear. And today it's 1992 and the number three that eventually became a number one. And actually I played it here quite recently in the context of two on Tuesday. This was the one that was number one at the time. Do you remember a fella called Jimmy Nail released this on the 29th of June 1992? His first single from his second album, well known as an actor, of course, on the television drama series Spender. But he could sing too. Here it is, the number three from this week in 92. It is Mr. Jimmy Nail and Ain't No Doubt. Jimmy Nail. Love that song. Number three this very week in 1992 but would become a huge number one eventually in the UK. We'll bring you two and number one on Friday around about this time of the show. Jerry, I have to say, New Grange Farm. I absolutely love it. My children love it as well. And I know so many children love the place. My favourite vacation, says Rebecca Collier from Belbriggan today. Thank you indeed for that, Rebecca. We'll pop your name in the draw with some others we have there too. I love my socks. I really do. Louise will verify that for you. I love uh, coloured socks, different types of socks, socks with themes on them. In fact, Louise brought me beautiful socks for Christmas and then I even forgot that she bought them for me. But I'm in the bad books for that. No, I'm not. I'm only joking. But she had to remind me that she bought me the socks. Anyway, when I saw saw these socks uh, recently I just said Louise get me that lady till I have a chat we're a Polly and Andy socks they are different we're heading to Cheek Point in East Waterford where I'm joined by Polly Doyle hello Polly hello Jerry. thanks for having me not at all thank you for joining me on the show I love your socks may I say first oh, off 
I really Thank you so much. <laughs> uh, I really do. They caught my eye and I'm a sock person for sure. Tell our listeners, what differentiates your socks from the rest? Well, uh, my socks are very special because they're made of bamboo, um, which makes them sustainable because bamboo is a grass and it grows over and over and you no need to replant. They're super, super soft. They're moisture wicking, so it keeps the feet dry. It draws the water away from the foot, so less chance of smelly feet and blisters. They're really colourful and they have a seamless toe, so there's no lumps and bumps around your toe that <laughs> so many people don't like. And they also come from ba- go from baby sizes all the way up to adult UK size 13, so you can match with all the family. It's, there's seven sizes. They come in all um, family colours, so you can all match and super cute. Lovely. Well, what a pitch for your socks. There's no downside on this at all. But when people think of bamboo, how do you, you know, manipulate the bamboo into a lovely soft material? Is that a is that a difficult process that has to be done? Yes, it's a long process. It's quite difficult. It's worth it, though, for mm. uh, sustainability reasons. So the bamboo is crushed down. Everything is used. It's dried out and woven into a fibre. So the the bamboo, the process of making bamboo socks is quite complicated. I can't do like a hundred different colours on a sock. I can only do like six or seven. Mm. Um, I'm a bit restricted in that, but I think the designs I've come up with kind of, it's it's worth it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Go with bamboo. Yeah. No, I thought that all right. That the process would be intricate, but at the end of the day, when you talk about the softness of them, their durability, their sustainability, yeah. and especially that thing, you know, feet. It's hard to keep feet, you know, from not, you know, uh, emitting an odor. You know what I'm talking about. Especially for yeah. some people, it's a difficult thing to do. But that's a huge plus with it. Tell them how you came uh, up with this uh, idea. Well, it all started out a few years ago when my son Andy um, was four and he's autistic. So he, at the time, he was pre-verbal. He had some words, but he didn't have sentences. And I bought him a really soft pair of organic cotton trousers and he stood up and he said, these don't hurt. And he was plodded along and he was fine and he was happy out. And I was in shock, for one, that he came out with all these words and that he said it so in such a matter-of-fact way that it was like he was just used to clothes just being uncomfortable. Mm. And I was so upset because I thought, Polly, you have one job and you didn't get this right. And um, I just got thinking about the layer um, next to the skin and how important that is, you know, like socks yes. and underwear and the likes. Mm. And I was looking for a solution for him for socks. Um, there was no one in Ireland doing um, kids' bamboo socks. And my sister had released, as part of her business, a bamboo face cloth. Now, I had never heard of bamboo being used as a fibre before that. But when I felt the face cloth, I went, oh, my God, this is incredible. Mm. So that's how it all started. And I started as a kids. I said, I'm only doing kids. Um, it's going to be a kids' company. And then I got harassed and hounded by adults who wanted these socks, too. So I thought, fair enough. And so that's how I ended up at seven sizes from baby to adult. (laughs) It's amazing the way you picked it up from... Uh, Andy, you know, and included his name now in your business too. I think that's absolutely lovely. But there's no doubt I see the feedback from people. Uh, sensory bliss is what I would say. That's what it is, isn't it? When you when you yeah. experience these socks. 
Yeah, well, actually, it's really funny. Like, I mean, I um, like I get reviews in from every sale nearly, and the, the stuff that people say. I had someone say to me yesterday, "Do you know what? You've really shot yourself in the foot now because they're lasting so long." that I don't need to buy more and more. I was like, oh, okay, well, mm. that's good. <laughs> but, you know, they're definitely durable. They're definitely long-lasting. You can pass them from sibling down, from sibling to sibling or cousin to cousin. And that's the idea, that they're not just a throwaway item. Yes. They're an investment in your feet and you're standing on them all day and you should look after them. Mm. Oh, right. listen, well. uh, <laughs> that's why I want to have a wee chat with you today because they are sustainable. They're lovely. They really are. Do you, is it online you sell, pollyandandy.com? That's it, online. And I'm in about 40 different shops around Ireland. And I have my own shop in Washford. It's a collective, CC Creative, on the quay. And I'm in the airport. I'm in Foxford. And it's growing and growing every day. It's a great way story. It really is. And I wish you all the luck in the world. But you're going great guns anyway. But for our listeners here in the North East and beyond, pollyandandy.com, pollyandandy.com. Check it out there. Socks you love forever, I promise you. Thank you for joining me on the show today, Polly. Thank you so much. Not at all. Take care of yourself. Bye. That's Polly Doyle there in Cheek Point, beautiful village in East Waterford. And they are special. They really are. And you'll get a lifetime's value out of them for sure. Eddie Caffrey's on his way with the drive here on LMFM Radio. We're back tomorrow, Thursday, to enjoy the sunshine. And that could be a little theme to give you a hint for the show tomorrow, sunshine. Anyway, we're back 1.30 with Late Lunch. We'll see you then. Have a nice evening. The Late Lunch, brought to you by Blackstone Motors, Drogheda, Dundalk and Cavan.